It's the Division B podcast with me, Brandon Moss, and him, Ben Georgiel. Welcome to episode four of the Division B podcast. I'm joined as always by my co-host and friend, Ben Georgiel. Ben, how are you? I'm great, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. Nice weekend of football, maybe. Not for, not for you guys, actually. A bit boring, it seems. It seems to be a bit of a reoccurring theme, doesn't it? My, my weekends of sport aren't <laughs> rising with the actual playing side of things. Um, so let's but you're getting it. wins. You're getting wins. Yeah. <laughs> you, still, mean, you, still want, you still want to get rid of Roy? Yeah. There's, there's, no, there's no hesitation. Let's face facts. Two weeks ago, Brighton should have beaten us. Easily. I mean, we, we beat West Brom, who I'm not even... This, this isn't a word of a lie. I forgot, actually, we're in the Prem for the first two months of the league. They have been... Uh, yeah, they've been non-existent. We beat, we beat them 1-0 with a penalty that, in a past season, may not have been a penalty. It's exhilarating times to be a Palace fan. Well, you sound you sound joyful. I can't wait. It's joyful on my side. <laughs> joyful on my side. Lovely 2-1 win. Against the Spurs, North London derby. Who needs a Bamiyang? I mean, Odegaard is is looking so good for your boys. Mm-hmm. If, if you can't get a signing on him, he's gonna get snapped up. He's yes, he yeah, is we, good. We need to sign him. Perm- we need to do whatever we can to get him on a permanent deal. But mm. I don't. I wonder how much Real Madrid will ask. So we'll see. Obviously, London was red again. How how's that feeling? Uh. Well, it's always been red, Ben. There's, it's always been red. There is always some mishaps, you know. You know, things can sometimes go wrong, and it's not perfect for anyone. But London will always be red. And that's London, not just North London, that's London. Ooh, OK. Yeah. Uh, I think, to be fair, that leads quite nicely on to uh, the first topic to cover today. Uh, is, is rivalries in football, how, how are they? I don't mean that as in asking a friend, how are you? Have you been well? What's happening with rivalries in football? What, what's going on? Is it is it still a thing? And it's weird because I say this is the first conversation me and you are going to have, Brandon, where it's definitely down to opinion. It's, mm. it's not down to facts and figures. It's down to how personal preference you see it. Absolutely. And for your boys, it's obviously a lot bigger than, well, again, in my opinion, your rivalry is a lot bigger than our rivalry. Like, you know, Palace Brighton is an M20, is, is, is a motorway between them and they changed one of their chants. So rather than being, you know, Eagles, Eagles, it was Seagulls, Seagulls. <laughs> I mean, no preference. No, I don't really like no, no creativity there. No, I mean, you know. Your your rivalry is a proper rivalry. It it is local. We're yeah, you know we you you want to rule the roost up there, and and it it just I don't know. But let's get cracking. Let's let's get into the nitty gritty side of things. Cool. You know, I mean, you when when you look into it, and when when you when you look up um, rivalries on Google or whatever. It is actually interesting. You don't at, ever realise how big or passionate fans actually get, even lower down. But I did my research as we as we do, and I found a report in, that was done in 2019. And I'm not going to go through it all. You know, it, we will put it on our Twitter at the end of this episode, and you guys can go and see it for yourselves if you are very interested in it. But topping that report on what is the biggest derby in English league football, it is Portsmouth versus Southampton. It's seen as the biggest one. And this this is where the debate really kicks in and opinions fly about. For me, this hasn't been a rivalry for nine years. Mm. And I say that in they haven't had a league game for nine years. Last time they played was in the Carabao Cup. Where Southampton won four 0 Yeah, but again, it's been nine years since a league game where they've been at the same level. You know, equal funding in a way, equal talent, equal everything, and 
that is seen as the biggest rivalry in football. And I don't quite get that. Yeah, I think it's... I, I totally agree with you because you look at other teams like Chelsea. No one... They haven't got a West London rival or derby. They've got Fulham and they've got QPR. But you would never say, oh, that's a proper rivalry because they, they're, they're worlds apart in terms of where they are, like talent-wise and money-wise and things. You'd say Chelsea's biggest rivals are... Arsenal, Tottenham, Man United, because of where they are, and I agree with you with that. And it, it's 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 all across the world as well. The derbies you have are really based on how how good you are um, compared to each other, because things like 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 I say about Chelsea, they they they're derbies with Fulham and QPR aren't derbies. They're not rivalries. They're local, mm. but they mean nothing really. I, I mean, and that's the thing for me is that, in a sense, I get what you're saying, and for me, with the rivalry, I with a, as a Palace fan, obviously it's nice to be Brighton because they're constantly harassing us, saying, "Oh, we're booing you." Yeah, how come it took you two, three more seasons to come into the Prem? How come you're not as consistent as us? How come you keep finishing below us and stuff? They're all chat. They're all bark, no bite. But personally, for me. I would much rather be Millwall, West Ham, Charlton. Yeah. Like they're they're the teams who, as I was growing up with, although the Brighton rivalry rivalry was there, they were the other teams who we had to beat. You you can't lose to West Ham, mm. Millwall, Charlton. You just don't do it. And I know that we have some friends or some former friends who would definitely be at at me for saying that as a Palace fan. But it's just it's it's not there for me. Yeah. It it it's not the importance it's not you know we don't say oh we're south england and proud we're south london's number one mm. so brighton can't compete that and i don't know it just it doesn't feel the same to me and going into your point about where they are in the table and who's around them that's where in my opinion liverpool united comes in yeah they've only come fourth in this report mm. and for me i don't think that's high enough no they have arsenal and tottenham which is debatable and then exeter and plymouth that's local <laughs> And then to be yeah. fair, they are they are there or thereabouts talent wise. I think extra in League Two and then Plymouth are in League mm. One. But Plymouth are in League Two for quite a while. Um but yeah, Liverpool Man United, it's gotta be up there because that was that's the biggest rivalry in football. They're they're the two most successful clubs in the country. Yeah. Surely. And they're pretty close to each other. And th- this this is the other thing for me is I I think this year is 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 put aside because there's no fans and there's there's you you can get passion of course you can but if you don't know about the history as a foreign player which is what the Premier League is becoming more and more of then it's hard to kind of get into that mindset of oh it's more than just a game mm. it's like and I think I think to be the game last night between Arsenal and Tottenham it was like that you could tell the players wanted to win of yeah. course they did tackles, but about the fans tackles there, flying in everywhere and things like that. Dirty. Yeah, that's what they should be. A hundred percent. But without the fans there, it just didn't have that element for me as a spectator. No. Like, you know, the Emirates is quite a quiet stadium, but on rival day against the, you know Derby Day, it definitely there's something. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, fans are the things that make rivalries and derbies. Um, mm. Like you see over in Argentina, Boca and River Plate when oh, that's huge. when they played in their equivalent the Champions League final the other year, I had to get this postponed because the Boca fans or the River Plate fans were throwing like glasses and it like took out not take out someone's eye but blinded someone and things. It's it's proper proper rivalry. Yeah. And that asked me the question, um, do you think firms, like football firms, are the people creating these rivalries? Or is it solely really geographical and where they are in the league? I I think it's I, I think with the with the firms it's hard to say because you you have like Man City, for example, if you take the City United derby, I feel like that's the fans of City trying to create it with United because... They've been in their shadow. Yeah, and the thing is with City is that they're in their history now. They're creating their history as we're living, as we're watching it. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's... it's, it's any of them. It could be the firm. It could be the fans. It could be the location. And it's just, 
it really is just down to who you support and who you who you hate or yeah. who you who you don't want to lose to. Like I had an experience going to Vicarage Road a couple of seasons ago and watching Watford. I got on the train after we lost two one. Zaha was still the best player on the pitch by a landslide, <laughs> and we got on the train and one of the Watford fans went, "Oh, you barely you barely realised Zaha was there today. We had to we 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 put him down." And I looked I looked at the stats after the game. He had 15 shots. He had 12 on target. Ben Foster, the cycling GK, just had a world of a day that day. And when, when a keeper does that, there's not much you can do. That, that's going beside the point. That, for me, sparked, like, I, I can't stand Watford. Mm. I don't, just because of my experience against them. Yeah, absolutely. So the fans, definitely, they can create their own. And in an inner city game like Watford and Palace, I, I think that's more easily done. But then... I think firms try and push for it, and then. But would clubs... would they have been would firms in like the seventies and eighties would they have been the ones to create these rivalries? Because they they were massive. They, they were so. massive then. Like the Man United, the Man I... United Leeds one. That's that's yeah. That's down to their fans really and football firms. Yes, that's 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 what I mean. Is that that the fans definitely are? I mean, how else does? Do you explain the Liverpool Manchester one? The two most successful teams in possibly footballing history, mm. aside from the Spanish clubs, is I don't know. It's it's a very interesting one. But going back to that history point, again, I'm gonna focus at Liverpool and United on this. You look back at the players who have played in that rivalry. Yeah. You know, you've got Carragher, Keane, Gerard, and Giggsy. Four crunching players who you know, if they were losing... To, I mean, you even hear it now of Gary Neville on the commentary with Carragher, how much they hate playing each other and how much they don't want the other team to succeed. Mm. And I, I, I just don't know if that's there anymore. And yes, I do think coronavirus has had an implement on that and altered slightly how games will be played going forward. But as I've said already, I think there's, there's almost... I don't mean this in a Brexit way, <laughs> but there's almost too many foreign players and clubs for them to have that hunger don't, without what knowing. Do like, don't, it is. don't really understand it. Yeah, like obviously they they they'll they'll know that it's a rivalry and they they have to go and win for the fans. But I don't know if they know enough about the club yeah. to to go out there and give it literally a hundred and ten percent. Do you think there's there have any been any rivalries that which have died or fallen off in the last few years or ones you expect to see fall off in the next couple of years either? I'd say... Uh, ones that mean nothing really anymore. Yeah, I mean, I'd say... Like Wolves and West Brom. I don't think that's been a rivalry for, yeah. for a while. I, I do think the fans have something to say to each other, but Wolves have just outshone West Brom West Brom for mm-hmm. the last few seasons. I think... I don't... Manchester United, Manchester City, I don't know why, but it just still doesn't stick out as a rivalry to me, just purely because City don't have a history. And for me, personally, on my opinion, more rivalries are about history. It's going back and it is literally... Half the city is red, half the city is blue. Mm. But then th- this is why the Manchester one is so tricky because you could argue that it's Manchester versus London because a lot of Manchester Man- Mancunians are blues, but the Reds are Londoners. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bold statement. That's a really bold statement. <laughs> but I don't know. I think I, th- I, I genuinely think Palace Brighton may die. If Brighton eventually get relegated, they're kind of holding on to a thread like Sunderland did for three yeah. seasons. I think Sunderland till I die shows that Sunderland Newcastle just isn't really a thing anymore. For those of you who haven't watched it in season two of it, uh, the Newcastle under twenty threes were playing Sunderland's first team in, I believe it was the FA Cup second or first round, and. They Sunderland won, and the fans were literally like, "Oh my god, I can't believe we've beaten Newcastle!" But you haven't really, have you? Like, it's just you know, it's it's not it's the same. One when, when like what we've said, 
they're miles apart. They're they're well priced, tough one to call. Um, yeah, but geographically, that that's always going to be there. Now, yeah, Man United, definitely. Man City is always going to be there, no matter what. Really, what about yeah. what about new rivalries, which we which which could stem from things like? I remember the other week, Bournemouth played Watford. They've both come down. Mm. They're both really wanting to get back up because we know how hard it is to get out of the championship if you've been down there a few years. And they ended up having a fight on the pitch. About three players got sent off. Do you think there are any new rivalries like that one that are going to come up up through the ranks? I mean, it's kind of hard to say because you never know what's going to mm. happen. And you never know who's going to have an, a breakout season. Like, you know, Leicester's slowly been on the rise, but this year they've really, they've really yeah. gone for it. And, they could get top four. So then with that and with the territory you gain from that, do you then start having a rivalry against the Manchesters, yes, Liverpool? Hmm. So it's kind of hard to say. However, I, I do think rivalries, as we've said, will consistently be there. And it's just, you just need that one switch yeah. to, to get it going again. Like I think the last proper and the last point I want to make on this is, the last proper derby we've seen on TV, televised with fans, in my opinion, is Aston Villa versus Birmingham in 2019. Oh, just the, before Villa got the one promoted. where Jack Grealish got when, punched. Yeah. That's a massive yeah, game. I, like, don't get me wrong, it, it got out of hand, but you could just see that whole game, the hunger, the players, the fans, the mm. staff, the, the groundskeepers had for their clubs that day. Like, I think there's only five miles between two stadiums. Yeah. Yeah, that's not as much as obviously like Anfield and Goodison, but you you could see the raw emotion that the fans had that day, and that for me, again, despite it led to violence, that is what a rivalry yeah. is about. That's what I've been brought up for it looking like. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. It's got to be that that dirty and nasty nasty game where the fans hate each mm. other and they're throwing abuse and things. That's what. That's what fans are there for. And that's why fans make football. Basically, you think? 100%. Right. Shall we move on? I don't see cool. why not. So, my topic this week is about the new Champions League format, which is uh, which has been said last week, I believe. Um, and there's, constant, there's been constant talks over the last few years about a new format happening. But at the end of this month, they're, they're deciding on a, on a final one which is 36 teams, um, which will be here from 2024 if it goes ahead, which is obviously an extra four four teams from what they have now. Um, and the good thing about this, actually, if it does go through, is that UEFA say that this is going to be the end of the talks of the Super League. If you remember the few months ago when all like Man United and Liverpool put in a put in a request or something to the FA saying, let's join a Super League, which UEFA are going to create with Man uh, Barcelona yeah. Thankfully, this will put an end to their talks, and we'll have we may have a thirty-six team Champions League from a few seasons' time. That's that's pretty big. So, uh, the first question I'd have is is what what happens with the nations who who input into Europe? Is that is that increasing? Is that expanding? Like, obviously, we have what is it six six a year. Or five yeah, a year, and four, then depending on cup yeah, results. Four in the Champions League, and then there's three that go into the Europa. Um, well, what the league, what the Champions League want is the four extra teams to go from the middle tier countries. So they'll be like your Holland, your Belgium, your Portugal. You're not your top tier with your. Oh right, so like with Ajax, because they still have to qualify every year, which for me is yeah, insane. Absolutely. They'll get automatic. They'll get, get automatic plus. Plus, like okay. a fine order and Azad Alkmaar who'd go through the qualification stage. Um, however, it's likely that two of the places will be wild cards. Um, I don't know how that'll work. I wonder that. I'm guessing that's going to be Holland and Belgium. Their their teams go together in a wild card game, and England will have a fifth place. So the fifth place in the Premier League oh, will go right. to a Champions League, which really like messes up the whole thing and everything we've seen because now it won't be top four it'll be top five and we see this season it looks like Everton or West Ham are going to get it and that'll be fantastic for mm. fantastic for the coverage in the Premier League and the money for them clubs but I find it it's going to be 
if you get a West Ham in there, no offence, but they're not on the same level as a Man City or a Man United. And yet, by all means, they could do something. But it'll be interesting to see someone like Portugal get Porto and Sporting Lisbon and Braga in, then England getting yeah. Everton or a West Ham, really. But to be fair, well, well, it's interesting to see. It hasn't happened yet, but England may get a fifth place if it does go ahead. Would would you not say that makes the fight for the top six in this country Probably. even more important? Yeah, I, d- I actually do regret mm. what I've just said. I think that West Ham and Everton, <laughs> thinking about it, I think West Ham and Everton are probably better than uh, Feyenoord, Braga and Sporting Lisbon. Yeah. Um, yeah, so screw what I said. Fifth place in England will be great. And you'd actually get quite a lot of the massive teams probably getting into the Champions League and it'll be mm. more coverage for the Premier League and, and money, basically. So how how does this affect Europa? Like, is is Europa getting altered then? Well, Ben, I'll tell you this. I only found this out a few weeks ago. I only I remember reading about it about last year, and I remember, and I saw a few weeks ago, and it just clicked in my mind again. This is where it gets a bit complicated with uh, the Europa League, because as you know, the Europa League currently have uh, I think it's forty eight teams. I think they've got twelve groups from next season no matter what happens with this Champions League, they're going to bring that down to 32 teams. They're dropping right, 16 okay. teams. And I'll tell you why, Ben. There's something called the Europa Conference League. It's a new UEFA competition. And it's the first new one, I think, since 1996 or something. And the Europa Conference League is mainly based for the lower teams in Europe. So, Europe, obviously, you've got the Champions right. League qualifying stage. If you lose in the Champions League qualifying stage, you go to the Europa League qualifying stage. And if you lose the Europa, Europa League qualifying stage, then you're going to drop down to this league. So, if you, so, it's, got it. so it's basically, <laughs> if, you get, if you get a, 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 a Europe position, what do you call them? Yeah, like a, if, if you're top of the league and you get into the Champions League, but you're losing that and you're losing the Europa League. You're not just not going to get Europe, you're going to get something. So if you get, if you get a European mm. place for next season, you're guaranteed a spot in a European competition, no matter what. Whereas okay. before, if you lost the Europa League one, you wouldn't have anything. So Right. So with, with domestic leagues, how does how does that change things? Uh, again, let's just stick with England. So I'll tell you. It simple. Oh, oh, sorry. So you speaking. Also, no, um, no, go for it. Because these are like ma- mainly based on the lower teams in Europe from the lower leagues. Countries like Finland, Wales, and Armenia are going to have three teams, and Spain, England, Germany, and Italy are only going to have one team. And that that one team in right. England is going to be the winner from the um, Carabao Cup. So that's, oh, right, that's okay. definitely going to that's definitely going to be there. So I think it's going to be there's going to be about seven teams in England which are going to get into Europe. So yeah, it's basically it's basically for the for the lower ranked teams. It's it's like a what do you call it? Like it's, yeah, it's like a it's like basically a conference league for for Europe. Um, yeah. And it's basically yeah, like I say, for the teams that are using the losing the Europa League playoffs. But it's really interesting because I can't. I... Yeah, I mean, the the thing that I'm trying to get my head around now is obviously they've always had that if you finish third in your Champions League group, then you get yeah. Europa knockouts. So then is that still going to be there? And then if you finish third in your Europa group, are you going to be going into the I don't next think, conference? I don't think <laughs> from the Europa League into the Euro, Europa Conference League there will be because I think there's going to be... Because um, the Europa League will already, already have 32 teams. I just, I, I'm not mm. sure, Ben. It's all, it's all up in the air. But I can tell you what, what will happen with the Champions League. I know this. If it goes through, all teams are going to play 10 games against other teams and they're going to be based on your UEFA rankings. Right. So you're always so you're always going okay. to get a Real Madrid versus Barcelona every week, which is going to make it more exciting because I'm not sure about you, but if I turn on the Champions League and I see Dynamo Zagreb against Luda Goretz, I'm not going to watch that. But like every single no. game that people would watch is going to be like a knockout game. Like the the teams you come um come up against, um, and it's obviously going to form a table playing these these ten games. 
and there's going to be a two-legged playoff to decide the knockouts. So I'm guessing it will end right. up being like a, a top place, like first place eight, second place seven, things like that, and it will just just head it head that into the knockouts. That's going to be really interesting to see how that's, mm. that's actually done because it could be like with the American sports where you have your Eastern Conference yeah. and your Western Conference or your North or in the South. And then, or is it going to be as normal, you know, name to the bowl, put it out, see what happens. I mean, that could be, that could be really, yeah, really, be, really I interesting. It, I don't know if it can be like names in the bowl because if it's based on your wafer rankings and who you play, I, it's mm. instead of like what, instead of maybe playing teams in the other conference let's say then you're always gonna it's gonna be difficult to have a draw because you're always gonna you want the teams who play each other to be of similar your way for rankings when you can't really rig a draw or can you who knows <laughs> mm. man City fans might know a bit about that but <laughs> I mean you never know they, they may end up with their Table of ten with the Ludo Perez, Luca de Bregs, Slavia Prague, Dinamo Zagreb, and everyone else has got all the good teams. And then you get Pep coming out going, "We, we still respect them. We still have competition." <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff, but it's going to be interesting. Like, like I say, that's going to be decided at the end of the month. So, um, I'm sure if it does go ahead, then we're going to be there's obviously going to be more information based on that. It's good. It's good stuff. I mean. I think, I think that's really exciting, to be fair. I, I think that is I, really, I really should. exciting. I think and they should. Definitely. And especially with the new cohort, as it were, of the Harlands, mm. the Mbappes, the Fodens coming through, they're going to take that. And, you know, for, for us, definitely, we've had the Messi and Ronaldo era of the Champions League. So now having that Mbappe and Haaland with, with the new... Start over. Yeah, absolutely. It's be really Everyone needs a revamp at some stage. Change is good when it comes to football. Mm. I think. To- oh, Unless oh, yeah. it's VAR, yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I, I heard you mention Haaland, Mbappe, and Foden. Well, that leads on nicely to the power rankings. It's, it's like it's like we kind of knew what we were going to say to leave something on, but or or is it just our minds working in, in cohesion? Oh, you think I so? think it's telepathic. I think I think we're just so much on the be. same page sometimes. Well, talking of power rankings, my power ranking this week are the top five yes best young players, and this is worldwide. Okay. Okay. So Eberechi is oh, still going to be in there. He, he may be down at yeah, maybe yeah. not top five, maybe top thirty-five, but we'll see. Um, I thought with this after <sighs> Harland smashing Sevilla solely and becoming the fastest and youngest player to reach 20 goals in 24 games. And I thought, who are the top five best players? We can already guess who's, who I'm going to put number one. But we start with number five. Reverse order. Who do you think I've gone for, Ben? Oh, I'm going to go for a Martin Odegaard, Bakary Saka, Bakary Saka. Kind of. Not Bakary Saka. I'm thinking of Bakary Saka. <laughs> Bakary Sanya. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. All that. Bakayo Saka. Uh, um, Bakayo well, Saka. There you go. We haven't confirmed with this. I am going for Bakayo Saka at number five. Arsenal player. English. 19 years old. And you could say it's slightly biased, but I don't think it is. Um, if we look at his stats, or well, also what he's been rated as, he was voted best young player in the Europa League last season, which is you may people may say, oh, it's the Europa League and things like that. But being the best player or the best young player in anything is always a massive milestone and something you want to get. Um, Definitely. And the reason I've put him here in the top five is because how he changes a team. I mean, he's only 19 years old and I'm an Arsenal fan. I know I've seen like Arsenal fan TV and things and like I know a few Arsenal fans, when they see his name on the team sheet, it gives some. It gives us a, a massive sense of relief because you're like, this guy is creative. It's a bit like Tierney. You know what you're getting with them, and he's a creative prospect. Um, and he's it, the fans love him, the manager loves him, the players love him. They give him nicknames like Chili or something like that because he's hot. Uh, 
<laughs> I believe he's the most creative player in the squad, in the Arsenal team, and I think he's probably the most valued player in the Arsenal team at the moment. Do you, would you agree? I'd say, I'd say creativity. He's probably on a par with mm. Odegaard, with Odegaard coming in and getting confident again. But before that, a hundred, a hundred percent, it was as you say. He's he's come in. He's nineteen years old, and we we've seen Emil Smith Rowe come in and do something a season or two before him. But he just didn't have that no, exactly. fair that Saka's got and the the as you say the creativity and well, he's already got a yeah absolutely. Senior I think call up. I think he'll be in the squad for the summer as well. Um, I looked up he's valued at about thirty six million at the moment, and I'm sure once he gets older, that's that's going to increase. Um, oh, it's going to rock. I think it. it's maybe mm. maybe down to because he hasn't got many England caps that he hasn't that he's not valued that highly. Um, yeah, but yeah, he's extremely versatile as well. This season, he's played left wing, left back. He's played on the right wing sometimes as well. He can play anywhere. And um, I've got a really good stat here. Apart from the top two players I've picked. He has the most goal participation of 22%. So 22% of Arsenal goals, he is involved in. And I I mean, apart from the top two that I'm going to say, who we all know are pretty much, is unbelievable. Um, Number four... Mm. I'm gonna go for oh you got the you got the first one right Ben who do you think who do you think this one is? Oh, no, now you're testing me. Uh, he doesn't play in England. Ooh. That may help you. I mean, I'm thinking Ansu Fati. Are you going but... with Ansu Fati? <laughs> he's got I'll it go right with Ansu well. Fati. <laughs> oh, go, he's gone. Come God, on, this is not good. I thought it was gonna be a surprise for you. Um, yes, yeah, so Ansu Fati. <laughs> 18 years old, Barcelona, Spanish, valued at £72 million. Um, he's played seven games in the league so far this season for Barca with four goals and one assist. That's pretty good going. Pretty much something every game. Mm. Um, he's versatile again. He can play left wing, right wing, striker. And he's the Barcelona's youngest ever goal scorer at 16 years old and 304 days. Um and he's the third youngest in La Liga history as well, which is pretty mental. I don't know who's before him, but wow. obviously, yeah. if he's youngest in Barcelona, he was obviously younger than um, Lionel Messi. So um, he's also been the youngest player to score an assist in the same game, and that's that's league wise <laughs> as well. Um, and he's the youngest player uh, to play in the Champions League for Barca, and the third youngest in history, which is also. Massive milestone. That's incredible. Um, he's the youngest player to score in the Champions League. Uh, he's the youngest to score two goals in the in the La Liga game, and he's the first player in the Champions League to score before eighteen years old. First player in the Champions League to score before he reaches an adult age. And I was thinking, surely Haaland's in that, but Haaland's twenty at the moment. He's only been at Dortmund for two years, and surely, yeah. Another stat, he's the youngest player to score in an El Clasico game. So obviously, if people don't know the biggest game in Spain, he's he's beaten Messi, he's beaten Ronaldo. Obviously, Ronaldo wasn't there until he was about 24. And he's at his age out, where he's... I think he's going to be great because he's 18 years old and he's working next to the greatest of all time in Messi. And I think... I, I haven't seen enough of him yet to put him high on this list. But I think that in the next few years, he could be better than Mbappe. I think the thing that really would have been incredible to watch of Ansu Fati is if Suarez mm. had stayed at Camp Nou and if, if he was still there. Because you have Dembele, who who seems to slowly be getting his confidence back uh, he, after a dip of a couple of seasons. And if you had Ansu Fati on the other side with Suarez, I'd be that with with Messi tucked in behind and Griezmann wherever it'd be. I would be an but insane. That's a massive stat there. Youngest player to score in the Champions League, youngest player to score at Barcelona, mm. who are renowned for bringing up young talent, and you're the youngest one there. Yeah, I think he's going to be great. I don't think he's better than at the moment though. Number three, number two, or number one, no. but he will get there one day. And uh, number three, Ben, who do you think? I, I, there's one, there's one name going yeah. around my head. And it's yeah. Phil Foden, Foden, twenty years yeah. old, English, obviously at Manchester City at the moment. 
he's valued at about 54 million, so only about 18 million more than um, Fakayo Saka, and uh, still way bit off about 16 less than Ansu Fati. Um, and I put him in here at three. I would have put him lower, I think, but I put him in here at three because I saw an article and it's something that Pep Guardiola said about him. And if you think about Pep Guardiola, he's worked with the greatest team, with arguably the greatest team of all time in that maybe 2012, 2013, Barca 14 Barca team mm-hmm. with Messi, Iniesta, Xavi, Poyol, Victor Valdez in goal. And Pep Guardiola said Foden is the most talented player he's ever seen. And and you're comparing it to Messi. And, and, and the team he's working with now. And the team he's working with now with KDB. He's had David Silva. That's Pep Guardiola has said that he's the most talented he's ever seen and he's worked with Messi. Uh, if, we look at, if we look at Phil at the moment, he's 20 years old, like we say. He's already won two Premier Leagues, one FA Cup and three League Cups. Um, he's got a 2.32 points per game when he plays. And I know they've been mental this season. They've won 21 games on the trot at one stage. But two, pretty much whenever he plays, they're, they're pretty much guaranteed a win. Um, he's scored two goals in three games for England. So that's pretty good when you're playing for your national club and you're meant to be in the top 22 players in your country and you're scoring two and three. Um, he won Jan's per. Oh, hello. What's this? Can't read my handwriting. He won Jan's Sports Personality of the Year in 2017. Uh, at the age of 17, after they came off uh, England in winning the 2017 under under 17 World Cup. I think he was in that, wasn't he? Um, and in 2017-18 season, he paid, he became the youngest ever player to win the Premier League. And that's based on. I think you have to play five or six games in the league to get a medal. And he was the yeah, mm. he's the youngest he's player six, yeah. to ever win the Premier League and he would have been yeah, 17, 18 years old. Um for Manchester City, he's the youngest to score in a Champions League game and uh he's the youngest English player to score in the knockout round. And that's that's again like the stats he's putting up are all on the biggest stage, the Champions League, your country and he's already won six six trophies at the age of 20. Um, and like I say, yeah, I'll put him above Fatty as he's, as the league is in. Man City are in, obviously the Premier League is a lot tougher than the, in, than the Spanish League. It's the hardest league in the world. And he's, yeah. a, and he's a key element of that team um, who have won 22 of their last 23 games. If it wasn't for him, you know, that, that creativity, I know you've got uh, Kevin De Bruyne and that, but it's... He really changes, put, put, brings in some new life to that Man City squad. I'd say also of England, you know, we haven't had a midfield in that English team mm. really since Lampard and Gerard and Scolzi retired. And we, we've gone through that kind of four or five years before Southgate came in for the, for the World Cup where no one really knew what was happening with the England team. No one got excited for internationals. I, I'm not saying that everyone does now because it is a bit of a try spell in the football season but the talent coming through led mm. by Foden and just just behind yeah, him absolutely. you have Jude Bellingham Jaden Sancho it, it, obviously for City fans incredible but England fans yeah. that's that's our future captain he's, there. he's one of you like you say he's definitely one for the future and he's a great asset and I think he, mm. he him alongside a Grealish and Madison Harry Kane it's, it spells trouble for, for Scotland. <laughs> um, number two. Yeah. Come on, Ben. If you get this one, I think you know who's number one is anyway. If you get this one. It's, it's, this, one's, it's, this one's just getting away from me. I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to go for it. I think I've got it. I think, I think I'm going to go for it. It is Kylian is it Mbappe. Kylian Mbappe? Well, I think you're going to get oh, five out of five, Ben. This is great work. You're very good at your predictions. <laughs> You're very good at your predictions. We'll see what you know see what, predict, what what you predicted later on. But <laughs> yeah. if if for one time you can put in maybe Bromley win the national league in Garvin to League Two, I mean at this rate you're doing all right. <laughs> yes, like you say, Kieran Mbappe. Um, it's a bit of a tricky one. He's 22 years old. He's older than everyone else we've got in this, but I think he's got to be put in there because I I put my youngsters. Oh, that sounds a bit weird. Um, if you're a young player. I think you're 23 and done. 
<laughs> if you're under 23, you're classed as a young player to me. Um, yeah. I'll carry on, Ben. I mean, please take me out. I, I don't even. I don't even know. I don't even know if you need to go into statistics with these top two. I think if if anyone's even got brains who watch football, you you can just see the the difference with France, mm. with PSG, with Mbappe. The kid is incredible. I mean, you know, until Haaland burst on the scene last year with with Salzburg. No, no one was no one was questioning Mbappe was going to be the next big thing, and I I don't think he's he's half of our next generation's football rivalry mm. in terms of talent against talent, and just watching him play it it it's not Messi esque, it's not Ronaldo esque. No one compares him to another player because he is he's Mbappe, and I think that's the greatest thing about him. When he plays, he plays for himself, obviously, as well as his team. Yeah, that's a massive point you say, it's just incredible saying to watch. He doesn't get compared to anyone else. Because Messi, like, Messi and Ronaldo were compared to Maradona and Pele and things. If you're saying a player isn't mm. comparable to anyone else, that automatically puts you on a step above everyone else. Because the, you're, you've yeah. created a new thing for yourself. Um I know you said I shouldn't go into stats, but I will anyway because we still need we need to get through an hour probably. Uh, we don't want to be short. Mbappe's value is about 162 million. Um, that's the highest at, highest out of our top five. <laughs> He's a World Cup winner, and he was French footballer player of the year uh, from the year they won the World Cup. So 2018, he was 20 years old. They win the World Cup for the first time since 1996, and at 20 years old, you're named the best footballer in France the year you win the World Cup. Um, this season he's played 23 league games with 18 goals and six to six, six assists. So he's doing something him more in, what's that average to? Yeah. So 24, 24 participations in 23 games, pretty good. He's got seven Champions League uh, games with six goals. That's also not, not too bad. And three assists. And the big one here is he's got a hat-trick at the home of Messi. He went there in the round of 16 and scored yeah. a hat-trick. Um, you thought that Bakayo Saka's 22% goal participation was good. How about 38%? Almost 40% of PSG's goals Mbappe is involved with. Um, he's been top goal scorer in, in League 1 for the last two years. Uh, he was the Golden Boy Award winner in 2017. Um, he's played across his Across his career, he's played 72 league games for PSG and he's scored 69 goals. 72 games, 69 goals. Um, at 19 years old, he became the second most expensive player ever at 19. That's behind his uh, teammate Neymar. And he was the youngest to score 20 Champions League goals before our number one did on uh, Wednesday night. He's a hurt. He's right. This is this is a weird one for me, but it's a weird one because I'm shocked by it. He's the third highest goal scorer in PSG's history, and he's only been there for two and a half years. He's the third highest what? goal scorer in PSG's history, and they were pretty good back in the. Uh, from what I've read, they PSG were massive in the seventies, eighties, and nineties. Yeah, and this guy's been there for two and a half years, and he's the third highest goal scorer. Um. And he's the first player to score four goals against Barcelona in a single Champions League season. And that was only over two games. That That's insane. I mean, away from his league stuff that Brown has just covered, do, do, you, do you see that World Cup winning side still winning the World Cup no. without him back? I can't. I think that, I, I, how how well do you done, drop man. that in conversation? You're wise with your words. Now, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's not really much more to say about him to be fair. He's, he's an absolute beast. Right. No. Five out of five, Ben, is on the on the brink for you. I'll have to take your first answer. Who do you reckon is my number one top prospect? Young prospect. Well, for, for any Palace fan, there is one name that I'm quite sad who's been previously mentioned who hasn't even popped up. I mean, Roy's played him out of <laughs> position, so I don't really blame you, to be honest. This isn't about me rambling on. This is 
who earlier in the week we we both agreed is possibly the best player in the world right now. Erling Blount Haaland. He was Leeds born. Leeds, Leeds born. Leeds. Born in Leeds. And Man City, I think. <laughs> Mad. He, he did actually say, didn't he, when he when he first got big, he said he wanted to come to the Premier League and win the league with Leeds. You never know that could happen in the future. Mm. He could be thirty eight years old, come to Leeds and do something. What about uh, winning the World Cup? Could you imagine that team if he joined that? England? Haaland, Kane, Foden, Grealish. Oh my days. People just get, you should just give up. Sancho. They should just Sterling, give up. Sterling, Rashford. Oh, Erling, what are you doing? You're never going to win it with Norway. Right. Erling Haaland, Borussia <laughs> Dortmund, Norway, 20 years old. Values at 99 million. So a bit less than Mbappe, actually. Right. The, the stats that everyone wants to hear. These stats from the, I think these may be the the best goal scoring stats I've actually ever seen. I mean, you got the Messi and things and Ronaldo, and they've played 800, 900 games. But for a short amount of time, these are the best stats I think I've ever seen. This season, he's had 20 league games. He's scored 19 goals and he's got five assists. And to be fair, he's not even a great... Borussia Dortmund is like fifth or sixth in the league. They're not doing that great. In the Champions League, mm. he has six games, 10, a goal, 10 goals and one assist. He's played six games and he scored 10 goals. And that's only this season. doesn't make sense. For Borussia Dortmund as a whole, he's played 35 games and scored 32 goals. And in the Champions League, quite like, like we've said, he's played 14 games and 20 Champions League goals. And I think that's where I put him above Mbappe because, like, like we said before, even with the rivalries, the whole, the whole point of this podcast has been big times, big games, big players. And Haaland does it in the big games. He does it in the big competitions. Overall, the course of his career... He's played 49 games and he scored 52 goals. And that's across his Dortmund career. <coughs> that's me. insane. And he has a 46% goal participation. So pretty much half of Dortmund's goals he's involved in. He's nicknamed the Terminator. My man is nicknamed the Terminator. All right, he won the 2020 Golden it. Boy Awards. In his debut month, he scored five goals. This is for Dortmund. His debut month for Dortmund, he scored five goals and won player of the month after only playing 56 minutes. He plays over two games, I think. He came, I think he came on... I think, yeah, I think he came on towards the end of the game, scored five goals and he won player of the month after only playing 56 minutes. And like we said before, he's the fastest player to score 20 Champions League goals. And I've got to be honest with you, with my notes here, I've got two pages on Mbappe and only one page on Haaland because I think them stats trump anything else anyone else has put. I don't need to say much more about him. We know what he's like. He's quick. Mm. He's strong. No. He, can, he can do anything. He can do anything. I, I think the only unknown thing with with Haaland, it isn't. I mean, it, before I get into that, actually, again, mm. you, no one's comparing him to anyone, and I think that's that's the thing with these top two in this list is that, again, Haaland is Haaland, and uh, you you don't hear anyone saying, oh, he's got this aspect of Lewandowski, or he's got this aspect of Kane, or he's got that aspect of Zidane, or he's that aspect of Benzema. He he is purely Erling Haaland, and the only thing to discuss with him is yeah. where's he going next? Because Dortmund aren't, you know, that yeah, maybe one more season there if if they're lucky with with him. But is it going to be Barca? Is it going to be Madrid? Is it going to be Juve? Is it going to be an English club? You know, City have said they've always got, got good funding, funding. Again next year. They don't have a number nine. <laughs> they don't have a number nine. If Kane goes. Is Erling is Erling going to come in there and go? You know what? Let's go and win some trophies. He has that power, in my opinion, that anywhere he goes, he will turn them round 
and I think they yeah, will like win say, trophies. I think the only problem is the money aspect. So he can only go to a few clubs. And what what's what's the highest transfer ever? Is it Neymar mm. at hundred and ninety six million or something? Haaland's I reckon yeah, will, so. Dortmund's may want maybe about three hundred million for him. I reckon it, I reckon he'll be him and Mbappe That's insane. will be the two highest mark my words, ten years time they are gonna be the two highest played paid players in the world and also transfer fee. Because money's just money's just getting mental now, and it's gonna it's gonna happen. And it may to be yeah. fair, maybe one of them goes for a billion. Who knows? Who knows? Well, I think this is the perfect gateway, and we're never gonna have a more perfect gateway in from one of our sports to the other of our sports. Going from junior prospects in football to this week's five-minute discussion of the NFL, where we're going to be talking about possibly this is this is more of a stretch just to get a talking point, really. Possibly one of the most underrated players in the NFL draft this year, and the name is Carl Pitts. And until earlier, Brandon Morse, my co-host, <laughs> believed the Patriots could go out and get him until. Until your boy came in. So, Carl Pitts, you may have heard of him, you may have not. If you're into NFL, you you know, it's 80% likely you have. He's a tight end. And he's class. He's class. Him and Carl (laughs) Trask, they like, they linked up beautifully. That's why I wanted him. That's why I wanted him. This is, this is the thing. Brandon plugged the statistics of those top five. Here are the statistics. Slightly different, not as big because college out there compared to professional football, slight difference. But he's had three seasons with the Gators. He's had 100 receptions, 1,492 yards, 18 touchdowns, 12 of which were this season as the starting tight end. Jeez. He had 12 touchdowns. I mean, there were less games this year. I, I I couldn't tell you how I many think, games no, had. had. I'd be surprised if it was over ten. I think it was like twelve. But it definitely weren't. It weren't many. weren't many at all. Yeah. So, based on mm. that, that's one touchdown a game for a tight end. Not not a wide receiver. Not a running back. Not a mobile QB. A tight end. He had twelve touchdowns this season, and I feel like Trevor Lawrence has kind of been pushed aside because he's that good. Then you have. Justin Fields, Traylon, Zach Wilson. That's getting heated with who's going to be number two, number three, number four. Then you've got is the Heisman winner, yeah. Devontae Smith. Smith, is mm. he going to go even in the top ten? Because his fellow Crimson Tide Alabama wide receiver is apparently better than him, but because he was injured, he didn't play. Uh, I just feel like that tight end role was a bit like Push to the side. They're the, probably the hardest workers in the team. And when there's someone like this, like we saw TJ Hawkinson two, three years ago when the Lions drafted him, he's been incredible for them. He's probably been their most reliable yeah, player. I've seen and him, that's well, what you're going to get Carl them on like, TV or whatever. Or when I see on um, like Twitter and things, or when I look at the scores and stuff, he's always up there with the receptions, touchdowns. He's, I think he's underrated. And I think a question for you. Um, I think tight ends a lot in the draft are pretty underrated and as a whole and overlooked by your wide receivers and your running backs and your quarterbacks and your defensive players. I wonder why that is. I don't know. I'm not sure why these players get overlooked as tight because I'd, I'd arguably say they're more important than a wide receiver because you have to do blocking and trying to receive, whereas running backs and wide receivers, you've got one job. I don't, I, why, are they, why are they so overlooked? I think it, this is again. This was another hard one to look up on Google. There's, there weren't many answers. So, from my interpretation, is there's so much history with the running back doing the running and the receivers doing the catching that Gronk was really the first one to come in and say, you know, Tom, give me the ball. And he was Aaron also Hernandez, he was also a Florida Gator. We weren't going into much detail about. <laughs> yeah. 
they they changed the game and especially Gronk and they elevated it and they gave the Titans a platform. And it's quite bad that even with that, along with Gronk, there's probably Kelsey. only Kittle yeah. and Travis Kelsey who have spoken about Zach Ertz was in that discussion and then he wasn't and then he was and then he wasn't and I think I think along with TJ Hawkinson and again talking about the comparisons to athletes above them there isn't one for TJ Hawkinson and there isn't one for Carl Pitts they just say yeah. he's just that talent that you need to take and this is the thing the, the, the game is developing so much we have my mobile QBs they're the things dominating the, the market in this QB carousel at the moment in the NFL, you have catching running backs, you have t- uh, catching tight ends. Mm. The tight end position is becoming more and more important. You've seen the blocks that Travis Kelsey was putting up through the season on that right-hand side or left-hand side whenever Mahomes needed it. And then you saw the crucial catches he made. Kittle, it's a shame he was injured so much this season because that guy, I don't think there's a harder working tight end in the league personally than George Kittle. He's insanely good. And it's just... Yeah, it's just where, it, where, the where, question where is do you where, reckon he's going to go? Is. He's going he's gonna to be... Okay, go on, I'll, sorry. sorry, I'll give you two questions. First question is okay. like you were about well, to say, sorry, I interrupted you. Where do you think he's going to go? And the second question is, where do you think he probably would be best fit? I mean, it could be it could be Kansas City if you want, but they're not going to be able to get, get taken. But yeah, them two questions for you, fire away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I've looked at the order and I, I think... The, the best fit for him, really, for me, okay. is between 10 and 17. So you get you get the big receivers out of the way and you get the QBs out of the way and the teams that need the O-linemen and stuff. And then you get mm. into the, right, if there's talent, I'm going to pluck him. But saying that, Ooh. at five, there's the Bengals. And they're a team who, you know, ahead of them, they have the Jets, Falcons. the Dolphins, the, the Falcons and the, the Jags. The Jags are going to get a QB. The Jets are more than likely going to get a QB. The Falcons need a QB. And the Dolphins, yeah. they have Jasicki. They already have a good tight end. Take so him. if he's there, Bengals, you're probably not listening. You're most likely not listening. But go and take him. Go go and take him. Because if you don't, <laughs> that number six, the Eagles who just released Zach Ertz will. And I'm almost certain they will. So, if you want that once in a generation talent, you, you, you will think, go and get oh, sorry. Yes, um, my him. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the Eagles is the best place to go. You got Jalen Hurts, who's who's a mobile QB. They're they're regrouping and they're starting afresh, and he he will be the Gronk of that team. But then again, it's the same with the Bengals. Go with Joe Burrow. Go and be that important Travis Kelsey to Mahomes in the Cincinnati Bengals with Joe Burrow. Go go and do the role. Go and get the job done. Because Zach Taylor might be building mm. something over there. No one's really sure at the moment what's going on. But when Burrow yeah. played those six games before he did his ACL, he looked good. And to have a tight end in this league, I think it's going to become moves from there. so much more I think important. He, yeah, I think he's going to be a great player. And I reckon, maybe, yeah, like you say, he could... Could be top five. Be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> mm. I mean, in terms of talent, he's probably top three in the draft class. But it's it's just because because that's QBs they, are yeah, so that's important. Always go. Top three, and you have yeah, and and you have you you have three out of those top five teams who sorry four out of those top five teams who no yeah. Three out of the top. Who are you five saying? Who, who are you saying doesn't need Four. a QB? Uh, anyway, I'm getting confused unnecessarily. Okay. Jets, Miami. They're still they're, they're a difficult one. They are a difficult one to call. I want to go off on a tangent here. The Jets are a really difficult one to call because you don't know what they're going to do. It's still undecided. I think it'll be up until draft day where we find out: Are you going to stay with Darnold or are you going to go and get yeah, Kyle Pitts or someone? Interesting. So it's that time in the podcast where me and Brandon put all the seriousness aside and we make a dumb, stupid prediction. But this week, I actually think we got two rather realistic 
predictions, if I'm honest I with you. I think so as well. I think so as well. So, I'm not going to hang about. I'm going to go straight into this. Man City, unless they get Erling Haaland, <laughs> will not win the Champions League in Correct. three seasons. In three seasons. Yes. It's a bold statement. So, I have facts. I have figures. I have history on my side. That's what we like. That's and what we like. here is why they won't win one. The first time they got into the Champions League game was in the 2011-12 season where they won the league and Chini was doing incredibly well. And it's the first time they got there since the 1960s when it wasn't even the Champions League anymore, when it was the European Cup. Right. So, since 2011-2012, they have qualified every single year. So, that's almost 10 seasons in a row now where they haven't won. The Champions League, and I, 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 don't get me wrong, it's the same. It's probably similar with Dortmund. It's probably similar with Chelsea, other big clubs. However, if City, in their history at the moment, want to get there, they have to overcome this pressure barrier in a way. And by this, I mean mm. the pro, the prime example is against Liverpool in 2018, the semi-finals, the Champions League semi-finals. They lost five-one on aggregate in the league that year. They beat them two-one and drew with them. So they can do it, and they, they can beat the teams they need to beat, but not on the European platform. No, exactly. Like we've spoken about, big names, big games, big teams. Maybe not in that order, but Man City, when they get to that Champions League stage, they flop. And like like you say about the Liverpool one, the year after, in the quarterfinals, yeah. they lost the Spurs. Yeah. I mean, Lots of Spurs. you know, Pep can say he's got all the money he has and can build whatever team he can with the money. But unless he can kind of say to the players, yo, let's turn up today, let's win, then I don't see it happening. And KDB's only getting older. John Stones is only getting older. <laughs> the team's only getting older. <laughs> yes, that was a stretch, but I'm going to stay with it. And... They, they, they need Haaland, but I don't think he'll go there. And if I'm honest with you, I just don't see City, even even if they got to the final and say I was against PSG or Bayern, I don't see them doing it against those two big names. I just I just don't. No, I can't see it either. And if you remember back to last year in the round of 16, yeah. they lost to Leon. Leon. I don't think they. I think they maybe finished second or third in the league. Uh, league on that year, but Leon, no one ever thinks about Leon. You thought that was going to be an easy, easy ride for them, but no, they made it so hard. I uh, made it so made themselves hard to. Um, to get I, past. I mean, yeah, I, I just, I just don't know. They, I think they're the people digging their own graves every single season, and until something big happens, whether that's a big player or a sudden boost of confidence in in Europe, then they're going to keep getting knocked out. I think you're right with that. Well, Unless they get Haaland. Well, then, I am the changes. one with the track record <laughs> on this segment, Brandon. <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. Uh, I'm not the one with the track record. And I think with this prediction, it is, it is realistic. However, I don't think it's going to happen. And uh, this one, Jurgen Klopp has already said it's not going to happen, but We'll whack it in there anyway, just in case. Um, this is about Jurgen Klopp becoming the new Germany manager. Uh, and this is after Joachim Lowe, who has been at Germany for eight, nine years, something like that. The uh, ball bag sniffing man, uh, as we like to see. And the pink gold, finger... gold mining. Like? Gold Pick, mining. Picking the finger. Gold mining. <laughs> um, he said he's going to leave the Germany position uh, at the end of this year's Euros. And I think Klopp is the best German manager out there. And I think it's going to be a perfect fit for him. Uh, he's obviously from Germany and he's got a massive, got a massively young squad uh, with Serge Gnabry, Leroy Sane, uh, Timo Werner, uh, people like that. And if you look at the season he's had with Liverpool this year, they, they've not really done fantastic. You could say it's down to injuries and things, but he's won everything he has with Liverpool He's won the Premier League for the first time in 30 years. He won them the Champions League. He's got nothing else to win. I mean, he can he can only he can go back to Germany and become the German manager and only work two, three 
months a year. He can relax. He can chill. I think it's a perfect fit for him. It's definitely, if you're judging it based on just who Germany have as managers, it's definitely him and Tuchel. But I think Mm. you've got to go Klopp out of those two, in my opinion. If if, if they're both free agents in the managerial world, you've got to take Klopp. And it'd be really interesting. Like, the creativity he has. I mean, you know, he he took Mane, he took Salah, and he made them two big heavyweights in terms of players in the world. And imagine that on an international level. It would be crazy. I mean, yeah, in the World Cup the other year, 2018, they lost to South Korea, I think. And they really need a reboost, Germany, because they haven't been up there. It's been Belgium, Portugal, France. Germany need a reboost, and he's the man to do it, because when we remember, he was at Dortmund, and he got Dortmund to Bayern's level. He took them to the Champions League final. I think he won them at, uh, won them yeah, Bundesliga trophy as well. He went to Liverpool. He's, Liverpool was seventh when he joined. Last season, they won the Premier League. Two seasons, last the season before that, they won the Champions League. He can make teams great again. <laughs> make, make, it is, make, make, I was going to say, be again. careful where you go in that one. <laughs> could have been, could have been pretty bad. <laughs> but yeah, it's perfect fit for him, well, I think. I've thoroughly enjoyed today's episode and uh, I hope, I Me hope too. we have, we have, Got you to enjoy it as well. I've got there eventually. Uh, definitely get onto the Twitter. The rankings for the rivalries will be on there. And keep following us. And hopefully have you back listening next week for NFL week. Indeed. Big week next week. Free agency started oh, yesterday. I can't wait.